Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin the final week of our series, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion, with a message titled, The Lessons of the Fig Tree. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 24, verses 32 to 41, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. What's going to happen in the future? Well, those are the questions asked and answered by those who read tea leaves and divine livers, you know, as well as those who become familiar with, you know, current trends and try to make educated guesses as to where we're all heading. But as those of us who know something of the past will tell you, the future is always full of unanticipated surprises. You know, when Kathy and I got married, we used to love to sing with each other. And on our wedding day, we actually held hands at the altar and sang to each other. And we began as follows. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And that was our testimony. See, we were convinced from those who were older and wiser than we, that the future is filled with joys and with sorrows. And although the wise try to make plans, taking in mind the things that might occur, and yet no human being can take into account all possible future scenarios. And Kathy and I meant it. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Perhaps we thought we're going to have children and then we're going to grow old together. And we also knew of many who never got any of those opportunities. And yet we know the one who holds tomorrow. At least we knew enough to know he's our heavenly father, that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so we had all the evidence we needed of his love for us. And hence, we could approach the future with confidence. I want us to imagine the disciples of Jesus in three days, although he'd already told them, and yet they'd never understood. And yet in three days, their Lord would be arrested, falsely accused, tried, convicted, nailed to a cross. How suddenly their understanding of what the future held would be horribly upset. Of course, three days later, he would rise from the dead and show himself to them. And next he would teach them for 40 days. Then he'd be taken up into heaven with a command that until he returns, they were to go into the world and make disciples from people, from all people groups on the earth. But they've also been told that persecution, imprisonment, and death awaited them in their mission. They were not to be afraid. For one, Jesus had promised that he will always be with them through the Holy Spirit whom he had sent to them. But they were also to remember that he would come again. And so the hope of the apostles is also our hope. Yes, we are to be about the Lord's business before he comes. I'll say more about that tomorrow. But, but they were to live in hope, and so must we. And it's a command. Hope is an essential part of the Christian faith. Despair, anxiety, hopelessness, that might be for a moment, but it will not be a way of life. As believers, we've got to grasp hard onto the truth that our very best days are definitely not behind us. They're ahead. And for that reason, every single believer is required to think often about the end of the age and of the coming of our Lord. And Jesus and his disciples have been sitting on the Mount of Olives, and they've overlooked the valley and then to the hill on the other side, where the grand, majestic, and glorious temple was situated. And Jesus was telling his disciples that not one stone would be left on another. They'd all be thrown down, and the temple would soon be no more. And the tragedy of all of that is that the temple in the time of Jesus, and right up until AD 70 when it was destroyed, that temple, <laughs> it was still under construction. It had never been finished when it was destroyed. But this led the disciples to ask, when will these things happen? What will be the signs of the end of the age? And that's what Matthew 24 is about. 
At first, Jesus tells them not to be overwhelmed, for in the future, down the road, there are going to be wars and great upheaval and persecution of his followers. And some of the followers would abandon the gospel and leave. And these things must happen, he said. And then he reiterates that the temple will be destroyed. And then after a series of events have run their course, will come the end of the age. He himself will appear in the heavens, and he will come for his elect. But still, in all that he said, that is, up to the end of verse 31, he's not told his disciples even for a moment when it would be. And as we keep reading, we're going to see that he had no intention to tell them. They won't know. But there's an attitude that they should have as they await the return. So let's start to read today's text. It's Matthew 24, 32 to 35. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, if you've been tracking in this study, I have on several occasions had to slow down and make sure we understand the meaning of words. It's important for us to know what Jesus is saying as well as what he's not saying. So rather than starting at verse 32, just for clarity's sake, go to verse 33 at first. And notice the phrase, so also when you see these things. And it's precisely here that we need to stop and not take things for granted or assume we understand without a careful analysis of the words of Jesus. What are the these things that Jesus is talking about? If Jesus is referring to the things he has just said, well, it wouldn't make sense. Just prior to those words, Jesus has said that at the very end, the sun would be darkened and all the lights of the sky would suddenly go dark. Then his banner would be unfurled in the heavens, and then he will appear, giving the angels his command to gather his elect from every corner of the globe. And so if these things are about that, well, it wouldn't make sense. That's because to say, when you see Jesus appearing in the sky, then know that the end is very near. No, no. When you see Jesus appearing in the sky, the end is upon us. And there's no need to give instructions about that. So what are the these things? Now, I hope you remember, this is not a new discussion. Do you remember what we discovered when, when we'd studied verse 29? It said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and so forth. Those days, back in verse 29, did not refer to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. I said it most definitively that Jesus, unlike his disciples, did not believe that when the temple was destroyed, that that would signal the end of the world. Rather, I had said that the use of the phrase, those days, refers to all the days from the ascension of Jesus, the giving of the Holy Spirit, to the creation of the church, that after that era is over, then the sun will be darkened and so forth. In other words, Jesus was telling his disciples that the time between his first and second coming would be a time of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and nations rising against nation, persecution directed at his followers and the love of many of the followers growing cold. And finally, With human sin continuing on, eventually, the human race itself would stand at the brink of ruin. After those days, then the sun would be darkened, and he would appear in the sky, and the nations of the earth would mourn. Now then, since that was the proper way of understanding the phrase, those days, well then, it seems natural to me that the proper way to understand the phrase in verse 33, that is, so also when you see these things, That's referring to the very same thing as those days earlier. So let's list it. 
after you've seen the abomination of desolation in Jerusalem, after you've seen false messiahs leading many astray, after you've seen wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against nations and of famines and of earthquakes and of persecution against believers and of many false prophets attempting to lead astray even the elect if it were possible, after you've seen the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed to every ethnic group on the face of the earth, after all that, know that he is near even at the very gates. Now, that's what we saw in verse 33. And with that, we're ready to go back to verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. Now, I'm saddened to say that there are those who tend to read their own meaning back into this text. So they're going to say, ah, well, the fig tree, that's a symbol of Israel. So Jesus meant to say that when Israel becomes a nation again, then you know that the end is near. But remember, it's it's so important. Don't put your words or your own thoughts into Jesus' mouth. He never said anything about Israel becoming a nation again, never in the entire Olivet Discourse. And so what is the lesson of the fig tree? Well, I think it's far more simple than we have ever thought. See, by common observation, the twigs on the tree get tender before the summer. And that's a signal that summer is near. And using that as an analogy, when you see all these things, everything we've talked about, you'll know that the end is near. Now, you might say, but wait, I I don't get it. Since the things that Jesus spoke about, all those things from wars to persecution that has been going on, you know, for the last 2,000 years unabated. Well, how can the analogy of a fig tree signaling the beginning of summer in any way relate to what Jesus has just been teaching. If anything at all, he's taught his disciples that they can't know when the time of the end would be. Indeed, as we're going to see in the very next verses, he will categorically tell them no one knows the day or the hour. So again, what is the lesson of the fig tree? Stay tuned, we're gonna find out. Christmas is more than family traditions, gifts, and festive music. Christmas is a promise kept. God promised to send a savior, and Christmas is the fulfillment of that pledge. Christmas is the assurance that faith in the promise of God will not be disappointed. For this reason, Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the teaching of God's Word, and your dependable support enables the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada to fulfill that mission. As 2022 draws to a close, many listeners consider a special gift as an expression of their support for faithful, trustworthy Bible teaching. This year, our goal is to raise $519,000 by December 31st. This will allow Back to the Bible Canada to enter 2023 prepared to respond to the increasing need and opportunity to engage the world around us with solid Bible teaching you can trust. To give a gift to the year-end goal, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. We know that this entire discussion began by the disciples asking Jesus what would be the hour of his coming and the sign of the close of the end of the age. Tell us, they asked, when will these things happen? 
Now, in order to learn the lesson of the fig tree, we need to keep reading and then come back to it later. Go to verses 34 and 35. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, verse 34, the verse about this generation not passing away has led to a great deal of debate. And I have in this series already mentioned those who have argued that the fig tree must mean Israel becoming a nation. And then from that sketchy interpretation comes the idea that the generation that saw Israel become a nation would not pass away. And furthermore, there were those who argued that a biblical generation is 40 years, and so using that as a means of measurement, they came to the conclusion that since Israel became a nation in 1948, it must then stand to reason that Christ will return before 1988. Well, after 1988 passed, I heard others say, well, sometimes a generation is 50 years. Well, that gets us to 1998. I I hope you see where all that leads us. I mean, what happens when the generation that saw Israel come into existence in 1948 is all dead? Should we then call Jesus a false prophet or should we just admit, we messed it up. In our zeal to predict the second coming, we put words into Jesus' mouth and we failed to understand him. Now, there have been many other ways of attempting to understand the phrase, this generation. I mean, everything from Jesus was wrong to a generation is simply a euphemism for saying the generation of the human race. I find none of those explanations satisfying. And still others argue that the generation, you know, Jesus meant as the generation that was alive when the gospel was finally preached to every nation under heaven. But what if all those interpretations are wrong? And I think they are. Everything hinges on all things or these things. You know, Jesus, what's he speaking about? Let's see if I can put Jesus' words in my own words. Looking at his disciples, he says, truly I say to you, your generation, your time period, the hour of history that makes up your lifespan, your generation will not pass away until these things, which things? Persecution, wars, famines, earthquakes, people falling from the faith, Jerusalem being destroyed, the gospel being preached to all the world. All these things are going to take place in your generation. Yeah, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will be borne out to be true. Ah, so Jesus wasn't saying anything about the generation that would see the second coming. Yeah, that's exactly right. Rather, he was saying a lot about what the disciples' generation would see in their lifetime. That makes a great deal of sense from the very next verse, verse 36. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. You see, it makes no sense at all to say, well, we won't know the day or hour, that is, you know, the 24-hour time period, but we can know the month or we can know the generation of his return. Look, that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus meant you won't know when I'm coming back, period. So if you're asking where we are on the prophetic calendar today, we don't know. That's essential. All of us need to stop listening to people who tell us where we stand in relation to the Lord's coming. They're all wrong. Now, just a little rabbit trail, but an important one. There are those who wonder how Jesus, being fully God and also fully equal with both the Father and the Spirit, would say the Father knows the day and the hour, but I don't know. How is that even possible? Let me give two examples from the life of Jesus. And here's the first, John 1, 48. Nathaniel said to him, 
How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Of course, Jesus saw him. He's God. He sees everything. Now, from Mark chapter 5, a woman who has a problem with perpetual bleeding says to herself as the crowds are pushing in around Jesus, if I can just get near enough to touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. And she manages it. She touches him. She's healed. Jesus stops, asks his disciples, who touched me? I felt power go out of me. And they say, look, tons of people are touching you. No, no, he says, someone just touched me for healing. I want to know who it is. Now, those two accounts show us something we're never going to be able to fully grasp. That is, Jesus is at the same time both fully God and fully man. As God, he knows everything. As man, he doesn't. As man, he depends fully upon the Father. See, all that Jesus is saying here is that as man, I don't know the day or the hour any more than you do. And look, since that's the case, uh, then might I tell all Christians, stop guessing how close we are to the second coming of Jesus. If even Jesus said, as man, I can't know, then ask yourself, as a follower of Jesus, do you think you can guess? Stop pretending you can. And with that, Jesus gives two illustrations, verses 37 to 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. See, from a human perspective, things are going to be going on as they always have been. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, devastating human events— People will not anticipate just how close they are. Now Jesus has an illustration, and two of them. Verses 40 and 41. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one left. Now the first illustration about the days of Noah. It seems a little easier to understand than this one. You know, people in Noah's day thought the world and human civilization would carry on not realizing what God had in store. They didn't take into account the being of God, nor his commitment to his word and his promises. And for that reason, they were destroyed. Now, as an aside, Peter says that for believers, they live in expectation. We're not surprised when Christ returns. But Jesus also says that the world won't expect it. Now, back to the two men in the field, two women at the mill, grinding grain. What are we to make of that? Well, on the one hand, these people are going about their regular duties. They're working. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to make ends meet. And just like the time of the flood, it comes quickly. Look back at verse 39. Suddenly in the flood, they're swept away. And that's what Jesus means here. Two men are in a field, and then suddenly one is swept away. He's lost. The other one's left behind. He's saved. Two women are grinding at the mill. One's swept away into final judgment. The other remains. He's saved. And no, the one who's taken away isn't raptured. He's taken away to judgment. He's swept away in the horror that's to come. The one that's left behind is saved. That's what Jesus meant. And all that gets us back to the lesson of the fig tree. Remember Jesus said that when the branches become tender and the leaves are sprouting, we know that summer is near. And given what he said after that, he can't mean that when you see certain signs, you've got to know that you're the generation that sees Christ. Look, he denies that. What then is the sign of the fig tree? Let's see if I can explain that and make proper application. When you live in an era 
in which there are wars and rumors of wars, when there are earthquakes and famines, when people are persecuting you for sharing the gospel of Christ, when the gospel is being proclaimed to the very ends of the earth, when some people are falling away from the faith, they're apostatizing. When these things happen, remember, Jesus told you they would happen, and he tells you to expect the coming of Jesus at any time. See, that doesn't mean we know when the time is. We don't. But we live in continual expectation. And that's especially important for those of us who are constantly confused about this matter. Lord, we need to say, we don't know what this year or this time in human history may yet bring. It may be smooth sailing, but we suspect many troubles do await us. But the sign of the fig tree tells us that we're living in an era of our Lord's soon return. And so just as the fig tree spells that summer is near, so all these things tell us that the coming of Christ is in fact near, if by near we mean God's timetable. And so we give ourselves to living hopefully and not by living fearfully. See, no matter how bad it gets, we know that the end will be overwhelmingly good for all who put their hope in Christ. Our Lord is coming. We're anxiously awaiting, and we're filled with confidence. Even as the fig tree is ripening, the coming of our Lord is surely at hand. Thanks for your message, John. Uh, Let me just ask you something for clarification purposes. Uh, When you said the one who is taken is not the one who is raptured, Are you denying the rapture? Yeah, great question. Thank you for asking it, Ben. No, I'm definitely not saying that. Listen, every single person who is a genuine Christian believes in the rapture. Now, I know that the rapture is when we are taken to be with Christ. Now, we disagree on the timing of the rapture, but we don't disagree that we will be raptured. So I am absolutely certain of this. We will be in a twinkling of an eye taken up and brought to be with Jesus. That is all who put their hope in him. So let me be clear about that. But when I do, you know, a Bible study on an actual text, I'd like to, you know, take the context. I don't think that the text that I was speaking of speaks about the rapture. It speaks about, you know, the judgment that's coming and those that are taken away are those that are taken unto death. And uh, those that are left behind are those that are saved. Uh, I'm simply looking at the actual text itself. I'm certainly not denying the rapture. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. With 2022 coming to a close, you may be making plans for 2023, vacations, birthdays, other events, but what about your time spent with God and His Word? It can be challenging to balance our personal devotions with the hustle and bustle of everyday life. But Back to the Bible Canada has a great solution. The 2023 scripture calendar, Freedom in Christ, is designed with stunning images, Bible verses for reflection, encouraging quotes from Dr. John Newfeld, and most important, a daily Bible reading plan to help you read through the Bible in one year. Perhaps that's your commitment for 2023. And the Freedom in Christ calendar is available to you for free. 
Now there's a limited number left, so call us and ask for your copy today. Call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.